Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Matthew chapter 7 where my Bible is open. Matthew chapter 7, going to read one verse in just a moment from Matthew 7 that will kick start all of the thoughts of our study this morning. I want to be working in the Bible this morning. I want to get those Bibles open and get them revved up to Matthew chapter 7. It'll be our starting place. As you're turning there and as you're getting settled in for this part of our worship, let me just issue a very hearty welcome to this excellent number that we have gathered here this morning. We were missing just a whole bunch of folks last week that were traveling on spring break, but man, it's good to have you back this morning and kind of have our full complement of of folks here today. Just so glad to be able to be here to worship God here on this first day of the week. If you're visiting with us, we're so glad that you, you chose to be here. There's lots of other things you could have been doing, lots of other places that you could have been, but you chose to come here and we're thankful for that as we've come here today to blend our hearts and our minds and our voices together in worship unto God. What a privilege indeed this truly is. That's why Sunday is my absolute favorite day of the week. Let's read together in Matthew chapter 7. I'm looking at verse number 1. In Matthew 7 and in verse 1, Jesus says, Judge not that you be not judged. What is the most famous verse in all the Bible? What is the verse that more people can quote than any other passage of Scripture? Well, with all due respect to John 3 verse 16, and that's a good one, I believe that Matthew 7 verse 1 is actually in contention for being the most well-known Bible verse in our world today. Judge not that you be not judged. Everybody knows that verse. Even people who aren't Christians or even Bible believers, they can quote that verse. And it is a verse that lots of people like to pull out of the Bible and throw in the face of Christians. Don't you judge me for how I'm living. You, you're just being so judgmental. Who gives you the right to judge? We hear those refrains with great regularity in our culture today. In fact, our hypersensitive society has gotten to the point where you can hardly say anything about anything without being condemned as a judger. Because after all, don't you know, judging, it's just about the worst sin in the whole world of all time. It's like you're right up there with committing murder. People today just don't have much tolerance for people who judge. And unfortunately... It is Christians who are perceived to be the worst offenders when it comes to judging. I saw a statistic recently, a study that was done, that showed that 90%, 90% of unchurched people ages 16 to 29, the reason they want nothing to do with Christianity is because they view Christians as being too judgmental. Don't you judge me, man. That's what people want to say to folks who profess to be Christians. And if that's how people feel about Christians in general, and I'm kind of using the term Christian loosely there, then what about people more specifically who are a part of the church of Christ? Oh, that's like taking it up to a whole nother level. We are considered like the worstest of the worstest. You judgmental bunch of church of Christers. You all just think you are so right and that everybody else is so wrong. You all think you're the only ones going to heaven and everybody else is on the fast track to hell. You all are the ones, for example who rag 
on everybody for using instrumental music in their worship. In fact, your preacher got up and preached about that last Sunday. You all are the ones who are always judging people on moral issues like social drinking and modesty and dancing. You all are the ones who are against women being preachers. And you all are the ones who are against that idea of once saved, always saved. In fact, the church of Christ tells people that if they've not been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, that they are not saved. Oh, who are you? Who are you to go telling people that what they're doing is wrong? You church of Christ folks, you're just so judgmental. What do we say about that? Because that is a charge that does quite often get leveled against us. You are aware of that, don't you? You have heard those kinds of things before, haven't you? Maybe you've been in a conversation with folks at work. Maybe it's during the lunch break and you're talking about religion. And eventually the conversation shifts to, you know, where do you go to church at? Where do you worship at? And as soon as you say, I'm a member of a local church of Christ, whoo, stand back. Better put your combat helmet on. Better dig a foxhole because you're fixing to have a bomb be thrown your way because you're so judgmental down there at the church of Christ. Well, what do we say about that? How do we respond to those kinds of charges? For better or for worse, that does seem to be kind of the calling card that we've been given. That is one of the first things that people think about when they hear that term. Church of Christ, so judgmental. They just equated that in their mind that way. How do we respond to all of that? Well, this morning what I'd like to do is I'd like to offer not one, not two, not three, not four, but five responses to that commonly asked question Why are people in the church of Christ so judgmental? going to give you five reasons this morning, just right out of the Word of God, in order to answer that question. Things that will help us, and things that will help others, hopefully, to think in a more biblical kind of way. And that's going to start, that's going to start just by us making an admission of guilt. Because sometimes the reason Christians come off as harsh, and abrasive and jerky is because sometimes Christians are harsh and abrasive and jerky. Let's just go ahead and own up to that. I want to get that on the table right now. Because the truth of the matter is, Christians do not always conduct themselves in the most Christ-like manner, do they? I take no pleasure in having to admit that, but let's just be honest here. Sometimes the people of God act holier than thou. They look down their noses at people who aren't doing it all exactly right. They say ugly things. Maybe they even say the right things, but they say it in an ugly way. And as a result, they don't represent the Lord, and they don't represent His church very well. You should know, though, that's not a new thing. Look in the Bible with me. Look in Luke chapter 18, please. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells us, and Jesus shows us, That there have always been people who will use religion to press others down and to prop themselves up, to make themselves feel superior. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable here about religious people who go around treating others with contempt. In Luke 18, I'm looking here at verse 10. Jesus says, two men went up into the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. The Pharisee. Standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, 
these extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I give. You see, this kind of thing, it's not anything new. Religious people who act like jerks and who act like snobs, those kinds of folks have been around for a long, long time. And by the way, you need to know, those kinds of people are in every walk of life. There are people who are sports snobs. You know people like that? There are people who are wine snobs. There are people who are art snobs. I'm guessing somewhere there's probably somebody who is a snob snob. There are just people in this world who do go around thinking that they are better than others. And whenever that creeps into religion, that creates Christian snobs. People who think that their whole function in life is to go around and just be jerky and just be mean and just go around just telling everybody how wrong they are and shaking that finger. And legally, since we're not allowed to gather all those folks up and take them out and shoot them, I guess about the best thing we can do is just apologize for those folks. Apologize for their bad behavior. I'm sorry that that brother acted that way toward you. I'm sorry that that sister said those mean things to you. And we want to just remind people that that's not what Christianity is about. That is not representative on the whole as to who we are. Christianity is about love and care and compassion for others. And that even when we do have to do some of that judging business, we're always going to do that with love and with care and compassion. In fact, look in Galatians 6, please. In Galatians 6, you know the verse I'm looking for. In Galatians 6, whenever we see folks who are doing wrong, who are not doing the right thing, what are we supposed to do to those folks? Galatians 6 verse 1 tells us, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Restoring people in a spirit of gentleness. In fact, what we want to do as Christians, Paul says in Ephesians 4 verse 15, is we want to speak the truth to people in love. Which means that we must never allow our commitment to truth to overpower the way that we speak that truth in love. But of course, it is that business of speaking the truth. That is what seems to have earned us the moniker of being so judgmental because we're always quick and ready to offer up that truth. We oftentimes are saying the very things that are counter to our culture and are counter to much of the religious world. And so the question then comes, well, why are you all so judgmental then? I recognize that, that, that jerky Christians, that's, that's the minority, that doesn't represent the whole. But what about the rest of you guys? You guys still doing a whole lot of judging down there. What's up with that? That would then lead me to offer this second response. What I want to ask is, I want to ask, is it wrong to want to be like Jesus? Is it wrong that we want to just try to follow Jesus' example? You know, there seems to be this image of Jesus in people's minds. That Jesus just went around all the time being, being nice to everybody. And that Jesus never raised His voice. That Jesus was just so sweet. He's kind of this pale skin, blue eyed, blonde hair, just kind of, you know, weak and, you know, just kind of homely little fellow. Jesus just went around hugging everybody and giving everybody rainbows. But that version of Jesus does not square with the Jesus of Scripture. You want to see the Jesus of Scripture? Look in John chapter 2, please. In John chapter 2, Jesus had arrived at this place of worship, which was the temple. And what Jesus found when he came there, was that 
what was going on in the temple was not what should be going on in the temple. He found the temple full of all kinds of business and commerce going on. In John 2 and verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, He found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. And so making a whip of cords, He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And He poured out the coins of the money changers and He overturned their tables. And He told those who sold the pigeons, Take these things away. Don't make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. That... That's some pretty strong stuff there. People seem to have forgotten about that, Jesus. What about that passage I read earlier in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus is condemning the Pharisees for their pharisaical and contemptuous attitudes? Or what about in John 8? People love to throw out John 8. Look at John 8, please. Everybody today seems to know the story of the woman that was taken into adultery. And then it gets to the famous line, and people like to throw out this line all the time, where Jesus says, He who is without sin, cast the first stone. Aha! There you go. Y'all need to drop your stone. Drop your stone there, Mr. Judge Memo. But I would have you know, the story did not end there. Look at the very next couple of verses. Verse 10, Jesus stood up and He said to that woman, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Verse 11, she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on, sin no more. What's that look like to you? What that looks like to me is that looks like some judging is going on. That looks like Jesus saying, woman, you need to change your life. You've been living in sin. You've been doing some bad stuff and that needs to stop. That needs to be made changed. You see, this image of Jesus just going around all the time, handing out -out get-out-of-jail-free cards so that people can keep on living in sexual immorality or people can continue to corrupt the worship at the temple as in John chapter 2, that image of Jesus is entirely foreign to the Scriptures. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, look at what Jesus says to people who are religious but who are religiously wrong. In Matthew chapter 7, such an important passage in the New Testament. In Matthew chapter 7, look in verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Here are people who are religiously active. People who are religiously sincere. People who are religiously zealous and they are religiously wrong. Judged by Jesus. Because in Jesus' world, surprise, surprise, there is such a thing as right and wrong. People, they don't want to talk in those terms. People, they want to talk about everything in shades of gray. Jesus talks about terms in terms of black and white, right and wrong. And Jesus never hesitates to let people know if they're not doing right. The bottom line here is that Jesus, Jesus drew lines. You understand that? Jesus did draw lines. Jesus called out religious error. Jesus called sin for what it was, sin. And so if Jesus drew lines, shouldn't I abide by those lines? 
If Jesus said something was wrong, shouldn't I be courageous enough to say, hey, that's wrong. And if Jesus judged something to be sinful, then who am I to change the judgment of Jesus the Christ? Saying something's wrong that Jesus said was wrong, that's not me being judgmental. That's not the church of Christ being judgmental. That is the judgment of the Lord and Savior of the world. So what I want to ask you is, can't we just be like Jesus? We sang that song, Oh, to be like thee. Isn't that what we want? Want to be like Jesus? Is it so wrong to just want to say what Jesus said? As we're thinking about that, and one of the things that we ought to ask in connection with this, whenever we're accused of you all just being so judgmental down there, maybe what we ought to ask is we want to ask, well, when exactly did things change? Well, when exactly did things just become so different? You know, whenever people call out the Church of Christ for being judgmental, a lot of times it's about moral issues. In particular, our strict stance on marriage and divorce and remarriage and what we believe the Bible says about that. Or the stance that we take on social drinking and the recreational use of alcohol. Or the stance that we try to take on modest attire and how that then relates to things like you know, mixed swimming and the prom and things like that. And then, of course, folks are probably really put off, most of all, by our strong stance against instrumental music in worship. Oh, that's the big one, isn't it? Josh got up and preached on that last Sunday. What about that? Why do y'all make such a big deal out of that? Why do y'all just go on and on about those kinds of things? Why don't you all just get over it? In fact, in lots of churches today, they are over it. They're way over it. I know of a church, not a church of Christ, but I know of a church where the preacher drank a beer in the pulpit. And then he salted his sermon with profanity all throughout his rant. You know, why so judgmental, you guys? Everybody else is over all of this stuff. It's time for you all to get over it too. Well, what I want to ask is I want to ask... When did things change? Because apparently we didn't get the memo on that. If you were to go back just into the not too distant history, I'm talking about just within the last couple hundred years, what you would find is that almost every church had the same moral stance that we have and that we're trying to adhere to today. Now I want to be clear before I go any further with this. I want to be clear. The fact that everybody, or at least the vast majority, all believed a certain way, that's not the standard. doesn't matter what the majority's doing. That's not going to ever be the standard. I need you to understand that, and I want to understand that. But if you were to go back, if you were to visit really any church in the United States of America as soon as 200 years ago, what would you find in that church assembly? Would you find a woman preacher? No, you would not. You're going to find people walking around dressed half-naked and walking around immodestly? No, you would not. Would you find a bunch of people just getting divorces left and right, willy-nilly for any kind of reason? No, you would not. You wouldn't find any of that kind of stuff just a couple of hundred years ago. What about, what about alcohol? What alcohol? In this country, in 1920, the 18th Amendment was passed, making it illegal to manufacture and to sell alcohol. Churches of Every stripe and every flavor, they were very instrumental in the Prohibition Amendment being passed because nearly all churches said the same thing, that the recreational use of alcohol, that is bad. So I want to ask, when did that change? Did we miss something here? We're just saying what everybody used to say. 
Did the Lord send down some new information for the Bible? Did the Lord send down some new revelation and we just kind of missed out on that? Maybe there's been some addition to the Bible. You know, first Americans. And that just makes all this stuff okay. And we just were left out of the loop on that. I'm asking you, where, when, how? Everybody used to say what we're saying. Why did everybody quit saying that? You want to talk about instrumental music. Everybody used to say that instrumental music had no place in the worship of the church. Did you know that? For example... One of the most famous Baptist preachers of all time, Charles Spurgeon, that guy's quoted all the time, even to this day, he said this about instrumental music. He said, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will sing with the understanding also. But I would as soon pray to God with machinery as to sing to God with machinery. I wonder if when Spurgeon said that, I wonder if anybody accused Charles Spurgeon of being so judgmental. I wonder if people showed up to his church and said, you guys are just so judgmental down there. What about John Calvin? We hear the name John Calvin all the time in religious circles. In reforming churches, John Calvin is quoted almost on par with Scripture. John Calvin said this. He said musical instruments in celebrating the praise of God would be no more suitable than the burning of incense or the lighting of lamps or even restoring other shadows of the old law. Men who are fond of outward pomp may delight in that noise. But the simplicity to which God recommends to us by the apostles is far more pleasing to Him. I wonder, did anybody accuse John Calvin of being so judgmental? What I'm saying to you this morning is that what we are trying to stand for here is we're trying to stand for historic Christianity. And in fact, I'm not talking about standing on the sayings and the words of men like Spurgeon or Calvin or Luther. No, I'm talking about standing on the words of men like Paul and Peter and John and Jesus. There's not any doubt that our understanding on so many issues of the present day, the issues that lots of people just get really out of joint with us about, is exactly what everybody used to be in agreement on. Everybody held the same position. And so I wonder, what has changed? And why are we the ones that are labeled as the judgmental ones when we're just saying what everybody used to say was the truth of Scripture? I think often about what Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 6 and verse 16, that we ought to ask for the old paths. Why is that so wrong? Why is it so wrong that we're just trying to go down those old paths? And since we are kind of throwing out a lifeline and we're kind of asking for some help here with folks, maybe that's just what we ought to say when we get accused of being judgmental. Maybe we ought to just say, hey, help us out here. If our judgments are wrong, if the things that we're saying are wrong, would you please just help us out? That's what you find in the Bible. In Bible times, people were able to talk about religious matters. And whenever they disagreed, instead of one pointing the finger at the other and saying, you're just being judgmental, what they were able to do is they were able to help each other, to help each other to come to a knowledge of the truth. I can show you that in action. Look in Acts 17, please. In Acts chapter 17, here is an apostle, an apostle doing some preaching. He's preaching in the city of Berea. And I want you to notice what Acts 17 verse 11 says about that audience to whom he was preaching. In Acts 17 and verse 11, the Bible says there that these Jews, the ones in Berea, 
They were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. People in Bible times listen to not just a preacher preach, but they listen to an apostle preach. And if that apostle started saying things that was veering off the path of Scripture, going off in the wrong direction, they hit the buzzer. And they said, hey, Paul, hold on. That's not right what you're saying there. That's not what the Scripture teaches. That is the attitude that people have in the New Testament world. What happened to that attitude? In fact, if you'll find in Galatians chapter 2, I can actually show you an example of an apostle who did go off in the wrong direction. An apostle who was acting like a hypocrite. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul comes to Peter. In Galatians 2 and verse 11, but when Cephas, that's Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to the face because he stood condemned. Paul took Peter and he said, hey man, I didn't talk to you about what you're doing. He told me what's going on here. What you're doing in your life, it is wrong. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. I'm not going to just turn a blind eye to this. What you're doing is wrong. It's sinful. And we need to get this straightened out. And that is what people do when they genuinely care about the souls of other people. They don't point the finger and just accuse them of being judgmental. No. They go and they help them to get right. In fact, I would even suggest to you that being willing and being able to explain to someone the error of their way or to be able to explain to them truth from error That is one of the marks of true Christians. That is one of the marks of a true servant of the Lord. Look in 2 Timothy 2, please. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, if our judgments about anything are wrong, I can tell you what my hope is. My hope is that you will do exactly what 2 Timothy 2 says. In 2 Timothy 2 verse 24, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness, that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. So, if we're off about instrumental music, or if we're off in the things that we preach and teach about drinking and dancing or modest apparel or women preachers, what I'm saying is, Help us out. Correct us. Do it gently, but correct us. Get your Bible out. Let's study this together. You help us to see where exactly we have missed it. Yes, I'll go ahead and warn you. I do have some convictions about these matters. I'm not stupid. I have studied about these things. I have thought about these things. But you know what? I am willing to talk about these things. And as long as what we're talking about, as long as it doesn't involve me having to like, you know, give up Mountain Dew permanently, then I could possibly change my mind. And in fact, the truth of the matter is, I'm even willing to put Mountain Dew on the table. There are no non-negotiables. Because what I want, which I believe is the same thing that you want, is I really do want to be right with God. I really do want to go to heaven. I'd be willing to give up Mountain Dew forever if it means getting to go to heaven. I want that. And so, let's talk about it. Let's study these things. If we both agree that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, and we both believe that we need to follow it, we need to obey it, but if one of us has missed it, well, let's help each other out. 
In fact, it might be entirely possible that both of us have missed it and we'll be able to help each other to get right. Let's help each other to come to a knowledge of the truth. God will grant repentance to people who come to a knowledge of the truth. In fact, what I'm really hammering at here with this point in particular is I'm hammering at our attitude toward the truth. Are we who we are because we've actually sat down and studied the Bible and we've come to believe that this is God's Word and this is God's way? Or are we who we are because it's just convenient to be that way? And it helps us to be able to fit in with the people around us that we want to fit in with. Is it possible that our faith is our own? Or is it possible that we are we're actually borrowing someone else's faith? We need the kind of faith that says, this is what I believe. And this is why I believe it. I can show you. I can explain that to you. And if I'm wrong about that, then you would be my friend to point that out to me. I had a great study yesterday afternoon with Cain and Morgan and Autumn, and I made that exact plea to them. I said, if I say something that's wrong in these studies or from the pulpit, be my friend. Tell me. Show me from the Scriptures where I've missed it. I want to change. I want to do what's right because I want to go to heaven. I believe that this, I really do, I believe this is the most humble response that we could ever give to that charge. You guys are just so judgmental. Which leads me then to this final idea this morning. Whenever folks ask, whenever folks say, well, why are people in the Church of Christ so judgmental? I think it is fair for us to ask, well, would you rather we just be hypocrites? Is, is that what you'd rather us do? Just, just be hypocritical? What is a hypocrite? There's lots of definitions we could give, but a hypocrite is somebody who believes in one thing, but does something different. And so, for example, I'll tell you what I believe. I do believe that instrumental music in the worship of God, I believe that that is error. I believe that baptism in water for the remission of sins, I do believe that that is the only way to be saved from sin. I do as well believe that it is wrong for a woman to preach in a mixed assembly. I believe that that doctrine of once saved, always saved, I believe that that is a false Doctrine. My question is, what am I supposed to do with all of those beliefs? What am I supposed to do with all of those convictions? Just keep my mouth shut about it? Just never say anything? Just never tell anybody? Just quietly kind of just go along with the crowd and pretend like everything is fine and everybody is fine when I really don't believe that? If I did that, what would that be? Hmm. That would be hypocrisy. It appears to me that there are some very big and glaring and fundamental mistakes being made in the religious world today. Should I just say nothing about that? Somebody says, well, it appears to you that that's the case. You know, that's just your opinion, Mr. Preacher Man. And you know what? That is exactly where we are in our world today. People have come to believe that religion is just a very subjective thing. That it's all just your opinion. Everybody has their own opinion. Everybody has their own interpretation about things. You decide what you want and I'll decide what I want. And neither of us can say that the other is wrong because, well, that's your opinion. That's my opinion. It's like deciding which flavor of ice cream is better. You say vanilla is better. I say chocolate is better. It's not a matter of somebody being right or somebody being wrong. It's just a matter of opinion. You believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. End of discussion. Okay. I'll play along with that. Here's what I'm going to start believing. I'm going to start believing that bestiality is A-OK. I'm going to start believing that pedophilia is just fine. 
I'm going to start believing that incest, nothing sinful about that. That's great and that's wonderful. Everybody can be involved in that. What's going to happen as soon as I say that? In about two seconds, somebody's going to say, Heretic? You call yourself a Christian? How can you say that you think incest is okay? Bestiality, pedophilia, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. What happened to all that stuff about you believe what you want to believe? Now I'll believe what I want to believe. What happened to all that tolerance stuff? What happened to all that don't judge me stuff? You see, eventually, eventually, everybody draws a line. Isn't that right? Everybody has a line somewhere. And maybe incest and bestiality and that kind of stuff, maybe that's where you draw the line on moral issues. What about even like doctrinal issues? What about, what about accepting people into the church who don't even believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? We tell them, hey, you're saved. You can be saved. You can go to heaven without even believing Jesus is the Son of God. You okay with that? What about the doctrine of universal salvation? That God's just going to save everybody. And I mean everybody. doesn't matter who they are. doesn't matter what they've done. doesn't matter if they even believe in God or not. God's going to save them all. Adolf Hitler, Saddam Hussein, Charles Manson. God saved them everybody. You okay with that? Somebody says, well, no, I'm not okay with that. That is too far. You see? Everybody draws that line somewhere. And when you do draw that line, can I just ask, are you being judgmental? You being judgmental when you draw that line? You know, maybe what we really ought to do is we ought to get our Bibles out. And really what we ought to do is we ought to see where God draws the line. You know, you may be drawing your line over here and I'm drawing my line over here, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter a hill of beans where you draw the line. It doesn't matter where I draw the line on those things. What you think of what I think, it doesn't matter at all. The question is, where did God draw the line? What does God say about it? What does God say is right? What does God say is wrong? What does God say about how people are to be saved? What does God say about how people are to worship? What does God say about what He wants His church to do? How does God want His people to behave and to act in daily life? If God doesn't want women to be preaching, then I better not go around telling people to get women and let them get in the pulpit and preach. If God says you have to be baptized in order to have your sins forgiven and to be saved, then I better not go around telling folks that you can be saved by closing your eyes and holding your hands in the air and saying a little prayer. And just as sure as I better not be telling people the wrong thing, I better also be making sure that I do tell people the right thing. Because for us to just remain silent, for us to just kind of pretend like everything and everybody is fine, when in fact that I know that everything and everybody is not fine, that is the height of hypocrisy. I want to say this very clearly. We've got guests today. I want you to know this. We are not trying to be judgmental. We don't like that label, whatever people mean by that. We are merely a group of people who have been so convicted by the truth of Scripture that just like Jeremiah in days of old, in Jeremiah 20 verse 9, that for us to to somehow hold that truth in, to just kind of bottle it in and not let it come out, it's like a burning fire in our hearts. And so we cannot help but open our mouth and let that truth come out. And I guess if that does make us judgmental, then so be it. But we will not be hypocrites. We will not bite our tongues and somehow in some way give the green light to sin and error 
that goes on all around us. Now I suspect, I suspect that regardless of what I've said today, I suspect people will continue to use Matthew 7 verse 1 as one of the most misused texts of Scripture. People will use that verse to say, don't you dare judge anybody or anything under any circumstances at any time. But I hope you understand maybe a little bit better now that trying to use Matthew 7-1 as a club to just kind of pound people into submission, that is a terrible use of Scripture. That is not what Jesus meant by that. Instead, what we ought to do, what Jesus wants us to do, is to seek and to study and to learn and obey and follow the truth, the truth that He has said will set us free. Now, I want to close, and please don't tune out right now. I want to close with a very, very earnest plea. If you believe, and like I said, we've got some guests today, and we're appreciative that you're here. If you believe, based on the things that you've observed today, the things that you've heard said today, or maybe from your past visits here, if you believe that what we teach and what we practice here at Lakeside is wrong, please, Please come and tell us. I am saying that so sincerely. You come and tell me. I'll be standing at the, I'll be the guy with this wacky colored striped tie. I'll be standing in the foyer immediately after the amen is said. You come and tell me. You grab maybe one of these other men who have led in service that you've seen stand up here and you know, you know, have the ability to communicate. Grab just any of the members here. Let us know. Please, please come and tell us so that we can then sit down and open up our Bible. We can study together and we can see what's right. If we come across to you as jerky, we're sorry for that. We apologize for that. That's not what we want. We we want to do better than that. And we're asking for your forgiveness about that. If, however, if we are wrong biblically, then we want your forgiveness and we want God's forgiveness for that. We want to repent and we want to make whatever changes are necessary so that we can be right with the Lord. Please, please do not just write us off as that judgmental church of Christ down there. All we're asking is for the opportunity to study, to talk, to discuss, and to question, and to think, and to work together to understand God's will for our lives. Now perhaps there's somebody, or maybe more than one somebody here this morning, who is not a New Testament Christian. Someone who is of the age of accountability, but you've never obeyed the gospel. You've never responded to Jesus Christ's Christ invitation. You've never put Him on in baptism. What I'm about to say next is probably going to sound very judgmental to some folks, but I'll just say it. If that describes you, you're of the age of accountability, never obeyed the gospel, outside of Jesus Christ, then you're lost. You're in a lost and undone condition. You are without God. and That means you are without hope. You're without a whole bunch of stuff. This morning, though, here's the good news of the gospel. You have the opportunity to change that. You don't have to continue walking around with that mantle and that title of loss brandished across your forehead. Today, you can be saved. And yes, I am going to tell you that you can be saved by doing things the Bible way to be saved. By repenting of your sins. By confessing Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And yes, by being baptized, immersed in and under the water, Come up out of that water in newness of life. A Christian, you can be just a Christian today. Can we help you to do that? Brother or sister, if you're not living faithfully for the Lord, if sin has entered into your life, lukewarmness or some other thing that's preventing you from being all that you can be in the service to God, 
then repent of that. Come back to Him and ask for His forgiveness. Let us encourage you and pray with you and help you to serve the Lord in a better way. Let's all serve the Lord so that we can be with Him in glory forever. You need to respond to the invitation. Make your way down front while we stand and while we sing.